0: I can't, sorry, I can't see it from here, so I didn't know. Um, I read something the other day where the Buddha said, um, don't accept anything because of what you hear from traditions or from um, scriptures or from anything. You basically left everything out except experience. And I was just wondering um, how, we this, <coughs> um, how we can apply this to our lives. Um, for example, we've, we've given a lot of guidance as to how we should behave and that um, But if he says that we shouldn't accept anything, then um, how much faith or how much experience, how do we actually um, <coughs> use that teaching that is not to believe anything but to experience it? I don't know if that's a suitable topic. I don't actually think the Buddha said don't believe. He said don't accept. Yeah. In other words, don't just accept because of these... Uh, Various reasons, either that it's uh, been handed down for a long time, either because it's in some sort of book of authority, or because uh, it's uh, the most popular belief of the time, or because it's the most trendy uh, modern idea of the time, or because uh, some famous teacher has taught it, or even because it seems to agree with your, uh, you know, just your first impression. He just said that it is very important for us to consider wisely, carefully, every teaching, every idea, in terms of the consequences of adhering to that way of practice. In other words, if we we base our lives on that way of practice, what's the consequence of it? Will it be for my advantage, will it be for the advantage of others? And of course this requires careful consideration because if we are just short-sighted, sometimes it may seem as though something is, a, is of advantage, but in the long run it is not so useful. On the other hand, some things which may seem to be uh, rather difficult or um, maybe not so pleasing to us in the short term, in the long run it turns out to be uh, very appropriate also some, uh, some modes of uh, action and uh, living may benefit us you know, we seem, we, we think it, it benefits us but of course we can see that it's detrimental to others and even that if you consider on a long-term basis then you would see that that is not the proper course of action because our happiness can never be achieved at the expense of others really because in this world Uh, We are all interrelated, interdependent. And uh, if we try to achieve our own happiness at the expense of others, through cheating and exploitation and hurting, in the long run it backfires. We can't really achieve uh, stability, harmony and happiness. And This has been the case through the ages. Um, One can see this happening over and over again. So the... uh, uh, what the Buddha was saying was to uh, was the, what the Buddha was saying was to consider carefully but uh, not in the sense of don't believe because that is also a fixed uh, state of mind I don't believe and uh, leaving it at that is not acceptable either because what that means is that you've closed your mind to investigation, to inquiry so what primarily the Buddha was uh, uh, suggesting in that discourse, the Kalama Sutta, was an open mind, a mind that is interested to find out, to discover through consideration, careful consideration, through inquiry, reasonable inquiry, and uh, through interest, like uh, in, in really wanting to know, this is important for us to know, and not just accept some mediocre type of uh, answers that may be given by various people so we can call this the um, encouragement to inquire to keep an open mind to question, to find out and to do so with a very uh, very honest appraisal of both teachings and uh, ideas and modes of practice (coughs) and of course this is I consider uh, anyway the most fundamental aspect to progress. If uh, we look at our society today like the Western um, society or this uh, society we have here in Australia and we can see a lot of things that are not so good in it. You know, We may find plenty of uh, aspects of this society to criticize as well as um, in many other societies but we can speak of this one in particular There's a lot of not such good things about it, but there is one very wonderful quality, and that is that uh, as a result of the stress in uh, the education system and the great uh, stress in free thought, we do uh, seem to have in this era, this age, a much greater potential for... Uh, human beings to question and inquire. People do have a much more open mind than they had centuries ago. People uh, these days will actually question things and not just accept dogma, Mm -hmm. doctrine, beliefs, either religious, political, cultural, racial, uh, whatever they be. People are questioning and people are taking responsibility uh, for their lives in wanting to know wanting to actually find out from direct uh, observation direct experience and not just blindly follow now I think this is a marvelous um, marvelous state of affairs this is very good and uh, despite all the drawbacks of our modern society despite all the Uh, faults and blemishes that we can certainly point to uh, which we could say that the society is deteriorating, degenerating Uh, this one quality I think outweighs all the rest because through this one quality human beings can come to truth can come to uh, the state of enlightenment the mind that is closed and rigid and narrow and fixed that mind is far from the path to realizing truth so if one would have to say, what is the most beneficial quality and uh, the quality that we would encourage most of all in amongst uh, say, uh, the seekers or amongst people seeking, amongst human beings or uh, in approaching Buddhism, I would say this quality of an open mind with sincere, honest interest to inquire and find out. When that is there... Then wisdom can arise, understanding can arise, because uh-huh, unless we have this, the mind, the mind being closed, we won't ask. And you know, if you are told something, you believe it, you don't ask, you just accept. That's the way it is. And uh, of course, then, then there is no opportunity for deepening one's understanding. And people do have done so and still continue to do so in many many people in many places, take things for granted just because we're told, just because uh, you're conditioned in that way. The mind cannot accept or cannot question uh, the possibility of there being some other truth, some other perspective, some other reality. The mind just always starts with those assumptions that have been conditioned into one. So just the way that one thinks, the, one that way, the way how one starts to reason is always on that basis of those, ba- those assumptions that have been conditioned. And so this is very limiting, very, very limiting to uh, discovery, to realization. And uh, this applies also in the fields of, of science. One of the biggest obstacles to new discoveries is once the uh, scientist becomes very mm, strongly conditioned with regards to the nature of reality. And then it's impossible for them to see beyond that. They always see that reality from that conditioning. They can't see from outside of that. And this is equally true in our, our inquiry into life, inquiry into truth, religion, for instance. When the conditioning is so strong, we just cannot think outside of that conditioning. The mind is closed. And so the Buddha was um, very concerned about this and uh, did stress. He wasn't interested in just telling people, and now you must believe this, don't believe that, you believe me now. The first thing he was interested in encouraging was, open your mind, question, not disbelief, but question. Not believe, but question. Question, not in a skeptical way, in a foolish way, but with sincerity, with honesty, with desire to know, desire to understand, with humility, with sincerity, to understand, to find out. Question what is said by others. Question what is thought by yourself. Question what is felt by yourself. Because not only must you question what other people say, what other people believe, what other people um, have written down, but you must also question your own, your own thoughts, your own beliefs, your own views, your own feelings. Sometimes people speak, but that's how I feel, that's what I feel. As if that's somehow, you know, that's proof of some sort of absolute reality because I feel that. Yeah, well, people feel all sorts of things, you see. That's what you feel, that's true, but that doesn't mean that it's either right or good or uh, proper or that your feeling is in accordance with uh, reality. take the very most basic the very, very most basic feeling which we have talked about on previous occasion and I won't go into today but I'll mention it as an example and that is the feeling of being a separate entity, me. That's the most basic feeling is that I exist, I'm me. There's a belief in in, uh, in self. Atta dithi. The view of self. All sakkaya ditti, the personality view, is so fundamental that every human being certainly believes in that one. And yet the Buddha said, question this very carefully because this feeling and this belief is a delusion. Now, something so fundamental needs to be questioned, let alone all the other feelings. Uh, All the other feelings that we have, yes, they need to be questioned. So feelings are really no more trustworthy than thoughts. Feelings are no more trustworthy than ideas. Sometimes people say, don't believe your thoughts, believe your feelings. Well, I don't think feelings are really any more trustworthy. They're very deceptive. And uh, they are in some ways, sometimes even more deceptive than uh, some forms of uh, thinking because the feelings are, are, let's say, not so uh, reasonable. (laughs) Sometimes feelings are not reasonable. That doesn't make them more true or more accurate. That can make them less true, less accurate. Of of course, thought and um, ideas also deceive very much. Views and opinions, they deceive very much. So in actual fact, everything is deceiving. Mm -hmm. Everything. As long as we are ignorant, things deceive us. It's not so much that they deceive us, it's that we don't understand and see clearly. So we become deceived by that which is. So the Buddha was uh, very interested in dealing uh, with this predicament the predicament of not seeing clearly, not understanding clearly, and uh, uh, wanting to at least encourage a new approach, rather than the the approach of believing, faith and belief, rather than coming uh, forth with a whole dogma and doctrine and saying, this is the truth, everything else is false, believe and follow me, which is the the way of uh, the guru and the way of the great majority of uh, religions and politicians, it's just like that, isn't it? My package is the package for you, believe me and vote for me, that's it, the guru of the modern political system. And, but it's how most people approach it. But the Buddha was, uh, was much more, um, say, uh, concerned with not only getting people to uh, realize truth through enlightenment, but also by doing so through an enlightened approach. Uh, not only was he interested in uh, helping human beings become enlightened, but he was interested in uh, encouraging them to become enlightened through an enlightened approach. In other words, the means that he encouraged were in keeping with what the goal was. The goal was uh, wisdom, enlightenment, knowledge and vision, peace, compassion. So the path was always in keeping with that goal. The path of the Buddha is always in keeping. The means and the end are the same. We cannot say, well, it's the goal that matters, the means don't matter. The goal justifies the means. That uh, quite often is misused. The means is the same as the goal. They have to be compatible. If you're striving for peace, your means must be peaceful. It is one of the greatest fallacies that we try to achieve peace through war, it's through oppression. If we oppress them we'll have peace. And of course we keep on doing that but it doesn't seem to uh, ever come to an end. Just like the idea if we have, you know, if we have enough nuclear weapons then we'll have peace. Well, I mean, there may be some, Let's reason, there is some logic there. You can certainly put up a very good case, but it's always fundamentally flawed. It's just fundamentally flawed. You know, if we're able to control and oppress them sufficiently so they don't fight back, then we'll have peace. It's fundamentally flawed. But yet we, we live our lives very much on that. Idea, we're striving for happiness, but the means to achieve happiness are not very happy. Mm-hmm. And we're striving for peace, but the means are not very peaceful. And uh, this is why one of the uh, very commonly repeated teachings of the Buddha, as is found in the Dhammapada, is that enmity is never overcome through enmity. Or if you wish, uh, hatred is never overcome hatred but only through uh, love or loving kindness and uh, benevolence uh, will enmity or hatred cease now this is uh, you may say that's a bit oh, that's really naive yeah yeah I'd like to see you go and stand up to Mr. Hussein and spread loving kindness to him <laughs> well I wouldn't want to go myself <laughs> Um, you may think it's a little bit naive, because yes, the, life is very complicated, there are many difficult situations, because we're not starting from scratch. There's already a lot of momentum, based on this basic flaw of uh, trying to resolve problems through enmity, through greed, through hatred, through oppression, through suppression. Yeah, it's difficult, but as a principle, it is something which is very valid, and very important for us to endeavour to apply and cultivate, that if we really wish to attain peace, we must have at least the intention to use peaceful means. Whether it will always be possible or not, that remains to be seen, but that must be our intention. So this is um, quite fundamental to the teachings of the Buddha. We want people to become enlightened. Now, enlightenment... Can be quite an abstract sort of uh, thing, you know, realizing the ultimate truth, uh, etc. But you know, it also we can relate to it on a more ordinary level. Enlightenment means a very clear uh, seeing of reality. The mind is perfectly clear, perfectly awake, uh, and uh, has very clear understanding of the way things are. It isn't coming from just bias or belief. Uh, the mind is awake, enlightened. So now, from that uh, sort of appreciation of what the purpose, or what the goal is, then our means must be in conformity with that goal. So what, in other words, the path or what we're encouraging, uh, like what was the Buddha encouraging in his uh, disciples or in people who listened to him? This is the reason why the Buddha never said believe me and follow me. He never approached it from that angle. He actually said the very opposite. Not exactly the opposite. He didn't say don't believe me and don't follow me. That's the opposite. He never said that. Uh, he, he, he always, What he encouraged was an enlightened approach, an enlightened uh, attitude. It's not that we are enlightened, but it's the, the approach we have to the situation. In other words, open the mind. Open the mind and question sincerely. Open the mind and question with humility as well, not with arrogance. With humility, with the desire, with the aspiration to know and understand. So that, whether it was the teaching of the Buddha, the teaching of other other, uh, masters, whether it was sacred texts, whether it was the belief of the population, uh, it was the same. What was encouraged was, listen, consider carefully, consider carefully, systematically, use your faculties of reason, use your faculty of inquiry to see, whether this teaching, whether this um, philosophy, whether this way of life, this way of practice is for the benefit. So this quality called yoniso manasikara is like careful, uh, systematic, uh, penetrating inquiry, if you wish. It's like careful consideration is a very highly praised quality. We can call it, it's not only the open mind, but it's the interested mind. It's the sincere mind. It's the inquiring mind. It's the seeking mind. The mind aspiring to know and find out. And so this is uh, fundamental in the teachings of the Buddha, and we should certainly uh, encourage it as much as possible. Some people misunderstand uh, and assume that the Buddha actually told us, like, I don't think Andrew meant it to be as such, but it is quite often understood that the teacher said, don't believe anybody, don't believe anything, with the idea, of believe yourself. Uh, but don't believe yourself either. Uh, that's not uh, an open mind. The yonin Soma so manasikara is actually associated with those qualities that I've mentioned. One of them is humility, sincerity, honesty. A sincere aspiration to know and understand. So, there is a. it's an active state of mind. It's not a uh, a negation, it's not a negative state. It's a very active, open, inquiring uh, state of sincere seeking. So that we use our resources to find out, to discover. Uh, And this applies to everything in life. Everything that we uh, encounter, and of course, in this case, we're encountering, say, the teachings of the Buddha. And there are many of these teachings that the Buddha set forth. Uh, he did lay down a lot of uh, guidance and uh, guidelines with regards uh, the, uh, say, uh, with regards the mode of practice, with regards uh, like the mode of living in society in uh, say, his lay people or in a monastic order he laid down a lot of uh, guidelines with regards training the mind in meditation he laid down a lot of uh, guidelines with regards like pointing to reality not, you know, pointing to uh, what the reality is what are the signs what are the signposts directing to the real to the truth now, all of these are not to be dismissed. It's not to say, I, I Buddhist, don't believe anything, so don't bother about it. This is very valid um, material there. But we are encouraged to question it, to inquire with sincerity, and then to to put it to the test also. One must be willing to put it to the test. And uh, all of these teachings, because they are uh, the purpose of them is to achieve peace and enlightenment, you'll find that all the teachings of the Buddha are uh, not only aiming at that goal but also implicitly by their nature are peaceful. The means employed by the Buddha are peaceful. The means of training body and speech and mind are peaceful and encouraging understanding. So that in Buddhism we have this uh, strong emphasis on uh, peaceful means. And this is like morality, and like a really strong, from, uh, strong encouragement to live one's life in a harmless way, to live one's life in a way which is uh, least conducive or uh, most conducive to peace, most conducive to harmony. Least contributing to disruption, to pain, to anguish, to sorrow in the world. For both oneself and others. And this is in keeping, isn't it? If we're really striving for peace, then we must begin by living peacefully. If we're really striving for enlightenment, then we must begin by living in an an enlightened way. An enlightened way of living means that we are awake as much as possible. Awake, alert, sensitive and appreciating what we are doing, the results of what we are doing, appreciating the way of nature, the laws of nature, how nature operates so that we can make our contribution. This is an enlightened uh, approach to life. So that uh, we stress very much, you know, people say, well, what does a Buddhist uh, have to do? And what, how is a Buddhist supposed to live? And, of course, there are certain uh, very important guidelines for uh, a Buddhist to live by, but only after one has seen the reason <laughs> and sees the benefit. And it's not as if there are no guidelines, Or that the Buddha really only laid down those guidelines just for, you know, if you're interested, do it, if you're not, don't bother about it, and if you're a Buddhist, you can do anything anyway, because, you know, Buddhism is a very free religion, you know, free inquiry, you can inquire and do anything. So this is the other misuse making Buddhism almost a useless tool or useless teaching. Because uh, almost free license to do whatever you want. That's not true at all. That is not true. The, uh, the Buddhist uh, path it is quite clear. And there is quite a lot of uh, need for living up to certain standards. You know, the Buddha wasn't just playing about. He wasn't just uh, sort of playing about teaching a few things and uh, then people could just go and do what they wanted. And if one really reads the uh, guidelines that the Buddha laid down, um, both for the monastic, he certainly wasn't playing about there. He had very, very uh, quite high standards and expectations from the monastic order and for the lay disciples as well. He certainly laid down quite high uh, standards of training. But he did so with that approach. Not telling you, and you must follow, but pointing out this path, these, these results. If you want these results, this is the path you should follow. Now, inquire into that, see it, and then do it. If you see that the benefits, if you really see that it's in keeping, with the goal then do it, don't just ignore it. And so there is um, free inquiry so as to arrive at uh, the conviction mm, through this uh, clear seeing, clear understanding of the path so that one then is willing to follow the path and train. Yes, uh, certainly in order to move towards uh, enlightenment, in order to move towards peace, in order to move towards uh, say, happiness and joy, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to take the steps. It's not going to happen by itself. You're not just going to wake up one morning and say, by golly, I'm enlightened. <laughs> that was, at last, it's happened. Well, what do you know? <laughs> and then you ring up the newspaper and tell them that (laughs) this fantastic thing has happened. You've become enlightened. Uh, It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen. Uh, Things arise through the development of the conditions. When we want certain results, certain uh, consequences, we have to uh, take responsibility to cultivate the um, conditions, the causes. This is true of every aspect of life. And uh, so there is a there is a training when we want to live a more uh, harmonious relationship or harmonious uh, sort of life in a group. And we just can't say, hey, wait for it to happen. Well, if we could, it would, if we could really wait, in other words, if we would just keep quiet and sit still and meditate and be very... Uh, it would probably could happen also. The thing is, what ha- we don't live our lives in a passive way. Our life is an active uh, undertaking, so we're relating, we're doing, we're talking. Um, now, if we are wanting a relationship to be harmonious and peaceful, then we have to act and speak in us the right way. You know? Because we're, we're the ones creating the conditions. It's not going to happen by itself. If you're living together as, uh, as a, uh, either friends or husband and wife or in a family, then it depends very much on how you speak, how you act when you are together. And not only when you're together, but when you're apart as well. Which will determine whether that relationship will be a happy one. Or a peaceful one or a harmonious one. And uh, this, of course, you well know. You have to take responsibility to uh, create the right conditions. Now, just for instance, I have often, um, I think I've mentioned that even here, I mention it often, it's my advice to uh, newly married couples when they come from the blessing. I give them all the blessings I can uh, I do my utmost, and then it's all in their hands. <laughs> but he know, uh, blessings are not; uh, they're usually not uh, not so powerful. They can't override uh, many of the other factors that are operating. Blessing is a well-wishing, but uh, whether or not that relationship is going to be uh, is going to work or be long lasting or be a harmonious one depends primarily on how they live together how they relate to each other, how they speak to each other, what they do both together and apart. And so I always uh, I, make, I make that point. I really make that very clearly if you want to live together in a relationship you've really got to change many attitudes because uh, for a good portion of our lives, especially if we're used to living on our own, our life is very self-centered. Just what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Very much like that. Oh, I think I'll go there, I go. I think I'll stay here, I'll stay. Uh, you know, it's very much what I want. But then if you're living with another person, that's the first thing you've got to change. It's not what I want anymore. What... Do we agree on? Is <laughs> the is the new uh, new stage? And life is a compromise now. Uh, so you can't. You I want. I don't want. Uh, what can we agree on? First thing is a change in attitude. No longer I, but we. Then there are the uh, like what sort of commitments? I mean, what sort of commitments in a marriage are uh, fundamental to the stability and the harmony of that marriage? One can talk about. All sorts of things, but there are three, uh, at least two, but maybe three very important ones that I always uh, tell them. And I tell them, if you're not committed to at least these two and maybe three, then you just uh, may as well get divorced now, don't wait till next year. (laughs) Uh, Or don't get married at all, it's just not worth getting married. You're wasting your time and you're wasting my time and you're wasting the marriage celebrant's time. It's a waste of time just don't bother about it. Don't get married. Um, I've never actually told people in that uh, in, in those words, but I have said that you know if you really want your <laughs> marriage to work then you've got to keep these, <laughs> these rules. The first one is to be completely committed to honesty. Mm-hmm. You must speak the truth to each other. You take this one away and it's finished. You have no basis of trust nothing and when you have no basis of trust then there's no basis of peace and harmony so if you take away this one uh, just the, even just this one that you're not committed to the truthfulness to each other then i think it's a very hopeless situation and of course you can see this is not only the case in marriage it's the case between a- in any relationship between any people when you don't when you can't be sure that the person is telling you the truth this is not the basis for trust. You cannot relax. <coughs> you cannot uh, sort of uh, re- be relating openly and uh, with full sort of full trust. And so there is suspicion always there, some suspicion, some doubt creeping in, which makes for tension, which makes for hiding one's feelings or hiding one's thoughts or hiding one's uh, uh, particular ideas and it's not a very harmonious situation, it cannot possibly last, you, don't want, you can't live in that uh, strained tense state for very long. So this is uh, fundamental just so fundamental, that sort of commitment and the other one is for married couples or couples living as husband and wife, is um, being true to the relationship, being faithful to the relationship. Again, take that one away. and it's, I mean, there isn't much basis for any sort of married relationship possible. It just won't last at all, not very long at all. So those are the two most fundamental ones, let's say, that one has to undertake. Uh, in order to create the conditions, the possibility, giving it a chance. Let's say. There are a lot of other factors, you know, but at least those two, with that right attitude, of what can we agree on in terms of how to, uh, you know, what to do, where to live, and that sort of thing, but then there's basis of moral commitment. The third one, which I encourage very much, but I'm sure that very few take it to heart, really, and that is to... Um, Avoid uh, alcohol and uh, drugs because simply because people who really do drink a lot of alcohol or take drugs become irresponsible, then they, they no longer have faculty of control, faculty of uh, clarity, and so quite often they do a lot of things that they not even you know they regret afterwards anyway, so that uh, that's why in Buddhism this fifth precept is so fundamental the precept of not um, taking intoxicants and drugs, simply because it, it counteracts or it goes completely against what we're trying to develop clarity. Clarity, responsibility, the enlightened mind. And this is the, the, the through drugs and intoxicants we develop the stupid mind. We're stupid enough, we don't need to become any more stupid. So, Buddha would greatly discourage that. It's not like, this. you know, it's evil. You know, evil. Alcohol is evil. Uh, you know, opium is evil. Um, and all that sort of really emotive way of teaching, it's not. there's nothing evil about it. Alcohol is perfectly natural, just as natural as mineral water. Perfectly natural. Nothing unnatural about alcohol. Opium is perfectly natural, organically grown. It's really very little fertilizer, very organic, very pure uh, uh, substance—opium. So it's not as evil in some, you know, intrinsic way. Somehow this is, you know, the devil grows opium, but only God only grows chamomile. <laughs> Some sort of notion like that. It's not that. Uh, no, they're just things in nature, that's all. But, you know, like uh, like everything else, nature has all sorts of things in it. You know, uh, poisons. Uh, you don't uh, go and take certain poisons because they make you sick. But in the same way, now, alcohol and um, these narcotic drugs, what they do is that they. Uh, grossly affect our ability to be enlightened, our ability to uh, see clearly, to assess clearly, to be responsible for our assessment and our actions and speech. That's why uh, one avoids them, because they are the basis for heedlessness. That's the only real reason. You you could say, oh, the reason they're bad for your health, etc., etc. But that's the main reason in Buddhism, is that they are the basis for heedlessness, not because they are bad for your health necessarily, Uh, not because they are even addictive necessarily, but they are the basis for heedlessness, make you heedless. So that there is, you know, if we want to achieve harmony or uh, some degree of... uh, living together peacefully in a relationship, then you can't just expect it to happen. You've got to lay down the right foundation, the right conditions. Mm. Take this on a broader scale, for instance, in a society, a community, like a Buddhist society here. It's very, very difficult. It's extremely difficult to get people to work together, to work together in harmony, to unite it's very difficult because people have all sorts of different preferences, biases, views and opinions. And you can see it everywhere. Whenever people get together, they usually get together around some... they agree around some idea or some belief or some notion uh, around something. They gather together around something and then for the rest of the time they fight amongst each other about everything else. (coughs) This is true of every group. Every group does it. Religious group, sports group, uh, political group. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yes, we bring with us our views and opinions and there is a lot of conflict quite often within uh, a group. And so, in order to have harmony mm, in a group, there has to be the right condition. And again this is um, appreciating. You know, It's just not my idea what I think. But we must be willing to hear other people's ideas. We must be willing to listen. We must be willing to compromise. We must be willing to forgive. We must be willing to allow the differences. We must want harmony so much that we're willing to work for it. We want Uh, unity so much that we're willing to work for it. And of course if you're not willing to work for it, it means you don't want it enough, then you won't have it. It won't happen by itself. So this is, uh, again, the the results will come about by taking the right steps. And the same with meditation. We have these ideas about meditation, attaining peace, attaining clarity, Mm, But it's not just going to happen by itself. It really doesn't happen so easily. Uh, Concentration, clarity of mind, uh, even just concentration, let alone insight and enlightenment, isn't going to happen all by itself. One has to create the right conditions. One really has to take responsibility and uh, make the effort to train the mind to cultivate mindfulness, to cultivate concentration through regular practice. Regular practice in uh, sitting meditation, but also regular practice in just developing more mindfulness in the way we go about things. You know, really being able to wake up more and more often during the day, to wake up, what am I doing? What am I saying? What am I thinking? What am I feeling now? To be able to wake up as much as possible during the day is fundamental if we want to develop meditation, if we want to develop peace, if we want to develop understanding. These are the conditions that uh, we must create or clarity in wanting to understand. And we should also appreciate that once we do begin to understand, you know, we've got to start living our understanding. We've got to start making the effort to walk the path. So yes, by all means question and inquire. But then, as you see it, you know, we've also got to take responsibility for walking the path. There are definite guidelines. Question them inquire into them see whether they are beneficial when you see that they're beneficial then take the step otherwise again it doesn't one doesn't get anywhere one has to take the steps one has to make the effort there is the need for effort I uh, I heard that in um, one tradition there somebody has said that you do not become enlightened by making effort. That may be true in a sense, but it's even more true to say that you do not become enlightened by making no effort. You're certainly not going to become enlightened enlightened if you make no effort. And effort, right effort, is one of the uh, factors of the Eightfold Path that the Buddha uh, encouraged us to develop. So we must put this effort into our lives. Question, inquire, establish yourself in uh, in confidence through understanding, and then act on that confidence. Really act on it. Do something. Take the step. Put in the effort to get to create the conditions that will bring about the results that we are aspiring to: peace, harmony, and enlightenment. So I offer these thoughts for you this morning. Are there any questions?